if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We get rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday morning. It is the 15th morning of the month of September in the year of our Lord 2020. It's an historic day today as President Trump will be meeting with leaders of Israel and of the United Arab Emirates, as well as Bahrain, uh, to finalize and formalize a peace agreement between those previously at odds, to say the very least, countries. Israel and Arab nations coming together, which, well, quite frankly, no one thought was possible. It's the reason why President Trump has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Huge, huge event coming today. And uh, coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk about that with Avi Berkowitz. I'm very much looking forward to that conversation to talk about the historic ramifications of this. And there's just no other way to say that. You know, I know a lot of people are concerned, myself included, first and foremost, about what's going on in our backyards, what's going on in our cities. Uh, that is obviously number one. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking, we're looking at some very, very dangerous, dangerous times right now. But internationally, we cannot take our eyes off of this. And this is an extraordinary opportunity. Avi Berkowitz will be joining us. Uh, he is an assistant to the president and special representative for international negotiations. And, uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, historic agreements that are being uh, secured by the, uh, president for and on behalf of our allies in Israel as well as our friends in the UAE and in Bahrain, Arab nations and Israel coming together. It is remarkable. And so we're going to talk to uh, Avi Berkowitz at 935. Uh, we are also going to be talking with Vince Everett Ellison at 1035. You may remember Vince Everett Ellison. If you don't, you should. He's terrific. He is uh, a very outspoken, prominent voice for African-American conservatives. He is a supporter of the president, and he is an opponent of BLM, Black Lives Matter. He's a black man who really cares about black lives, unlike Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter cares nothing about black lives. They are a political opportunist organization, and they are hell-bent on uh, destroying this country from the inside. Make no mistake about that. We'll talk more about that with Vince Everett Ellison, and we are going to talk about crime as we start the program this morning. I want to point to... Uh, not the Los Angeles shooting of the two deputies uh, that we talked about yesterday. 
and those deputies, it looks like, by the way, through the grace of God, are going to pull through the shooting, the, the shootings that they endured in the face, no less. The stories, by the way, of their heroism cannot be overstated. You understand? They cannot be overstated, particularly the woman. You know, you had a 31-year-old woman who's a mother of six, and you've got a 24-year-old uh, male, who are both of whom have been sworn in about a year ago, uh, just past the academy and swore, were sworn in and were doing their duties. And um, they both get shot in the face. She gets shot through the jaw as well as in the arm several times. He gets shot in the forehead, and somehow, some way, the angle uh, allowed the bullet to not penetrate fully the skull and actually get to the brain and to kill the other officer. But the officer, uh, the female officer who was shot in the jaw, uh, the deputy, uh, managed to get out of the vehicle, radio for help as much as she could through an almost, almost completely... Uh, I don't know how to describe her voice. It was not. It was not understandable. It was you know she could barely speak because she had been wounded in the mouth and in the jaw. But she tried to call on the radio and did get that call through to get help about officers being shot. And then she saw to her partner. She applied a tourniquet to stop the bleeding from his forehead and other places. I mean, heroism does not describe what this woman and both of them both of them for putting their lives on the line, but after being shot, what she was able to do for herself and her partner is simply incomprehensible. It's, it's remarkable. But at any rate, uh, they are expected to pull through, but according to the doctors that we have heard from thus far, their conditions are going to be, quote, life-altering. Um, they're going to survive, it appears, uh, God willing, but it is not going to be something that they get past very easily. Uh, they're going to have changes to their ways of life. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so uh, unlike that situation, which we talked about at great length yesterday, and we will, of course, today, there was a different situation that played out in Lancaster, PA. And this is a story not enough people were paying attention to at the moment. And now uh, that the narrative has been disproven, uh, it'll probably fade from the spotlight and the pages that it did get uh, even faster. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, riots happened because of a police officer shooting and killing a man. Now, of course, we have to point out the races because this is 2020 and this entire nation is consumed by racial division. But they killed, uh, they shot and killed a black man. And this is, of course, reason for rioting, you know. We don't have to wait anymore in liberal Democrat America. We don't have to wait for Biden voters to get out there and start smashing windows anytime a police officer engages in use of force against somebody who is a, a person of color. We don't have to wait. Biden voters, and I'm stealing that line from, from Tucker Carlson because that's who's out there. Biden voters don't need to know the facts before they start smashing. And once they've started smashing, even if the facts are then presented, it doesn't matter. We already started. We're going to keep going. That is, in a very, very small nutshell, what has happened in Lancaster, PA, and southeastern Pennsylvania. The shooting happened on Sunday. The narrative that was circulated on social media in the immediate aftermath, 
completely incongruent with the facts of the case, which were made public when the police released body cam footage from the officer who fired the fatal shots. Didn't matter. Social media posts claimed that the police had killed an autistic teenager who was unarmed, and that's all it took. Smash, grab, smash, burn, smash, assault, smash, loot. Destroy, destroy, destroy. That's, that's, that's the way that it goes. A Lancaster, PA police car, its windshield busted. Uh, uh, storefronts were destroyed. So quickly, Lancaster police moved to dispel all of the false information. And Lancaster police released the body cam footage of the incident. And in the body cam footage, it is clear as day that the suspect who was shot was attacking a police officer with a large knife in his right hand. It's not ambiguous. It's not unclear. It is absolutely clear as day. As much as you can look outside your window right now and see sky, that officer can look at the suspect attacking him and see a giant knife in his right hand. The officer, as evidenced by the body cam footage, fired his weapon, striking and killing the man. The deceased person was not an autistic teenager. He was a 27-year-old grown man. And the Lancaster police clarified. The first officer on the scene walked to the front of the residence and made contact with a woman who was identified as a family member. A male subject then exited the front door of the residence and began chasing the officer. Preliminary information and body-worn camera footage indicates that the male subject had a knife in his right hand as he chased the officer. The officer fired several shots from his firearm, striking the subject. The subject, 27-year-old Lancaster man, did not survive. His injuries was pronounced dead at the scene. It doesn't come much cleaner than that as it pertains to a police-involved shooting. They just don't get much easier than that. He's attacking an officer, chasing an officer with a deadly weapon. Did the officer have reasonable uh, 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 reason to believe that, that serious bodily harm or death was imminent in his case? Of course he did. This should be over. But it didn't stop the violence. The smashing, grabbing, and looting, and burning, and assaulting continued. Because that's what Biden voters do. That's what liberal Americans, and I don't even know that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yank that back. I know you can't unring a bell, but I'm going to yank that back. Because to be quite frank, liberals and Americans, that's an oxymoron. You cannot use that phrase. You cannot put those two things together. Because liberals who support this type of anarchy, liberals who support the shooting of two police officers, two deputies in Los Angeles, in Compton, liberals who posted videos of them laughing and watching and videotaping the officers not rushing to their aid and trying to provide pressure on their wounds to help save their lives, but videotaping them and bragging and laughing about how them two cops got aired out. These are Biden voters. These are liberal cop-hating individuals, and they are in no way, shape, or form American. They do not believe in America. They do not believe in American principles. They are anarchists, and they are animals. And that makes no reference whatsoever to race. Anybody that acts animalistic should be called an animal. 
Although, as Dan Bongino said yesterday when I played his clip, that's an insult to his dog. They're savages rather than animals. And watching what they are doing right now with cops getting ambushed and people laughing and in Lancaster people uh, uh, rioting, even though the police body cam showed that the police officer was fully justified in defending himself against a knife attack, it's just all an example of how our culture is being destroyed. Or, perhaps, it's revealing what our culture at least in some social circles, it's revealing what it truly is at its core. What do you say? I mean, our culture's rotting to the core. We're watching the greatest country in the history of sentient beings collapse in front of our face. The bad guys are the good guys. The good guys, the cops are the bad guys. You know, if everyone watching would do me a small favor tonight, if you would go in that picture Sean had up before of the female deputy bleeding out from her face as she was shot from the jaw, the mother of a six-year-old, as she's trying to render aid to her partner also shot in the face, bleeding out while people are laughing. You, you may want to look at that. You see that right there on the screen? You may want to tattoo that on your brain. Our culture's falling apart. Our culture is absolutely falling apart, or it is being revealed. And again, at least the culture of individuals who would participate in these events and do so with glee, laughing, posting, making sure they get enough clicks and likes. Look at these cops getting shot. Isn't it awesome? Maybe their culture is just being revealed rather than being destroyed. We have so much to get into about this today. And again, we are going to celebrate a monumental achievement, a peace agreement between Arab nations and the nation of Israel, brokered by President Donald Trump. Uh, we're going to talk to Avi Berkowitz about that coming up at 935, but I want to talk to you. And I want to hear from you, too. 216-901-0945, This is The Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 925, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. So you heard Dan Pongino in the last segment, the clip that I played, talking about how our culture is rotting to the core. Let's talk about our culture for just one second before I go to a phone call. Our culture used to be one rooted in patriotism, used to be one rooted in love of country. We would pledge allegiance to our flag, which represents our glorious United States of America. And we would treat our first responders as heroes. Our culture did that as recently as 19 years ago. Remember 9-11? Remember the police officers and firefighters who lost their lives, giving their lives for, uh, in, an, in an effort to save the lives of others? And it was just reminiscent of how you know we always knew that our first responders had our backs. Our police officers are there to save us. Our firefighters are there to save us. And that's just how our culture used to be. And now... We have this. You remember two weeks ago, Chardon football players carried a an American flag and then a thin blue line flag onto the field for their first game of the season, triggering a statement from the Weasel uh, superintendent of Chardon schools, supported by the Weasley Chardon School Board of Education, uh, saying, we're never doing that again. We'll never let that political statement go out there again, that political statement that says, we support police even though there was a police officer on the coaching staff. We're never letting that thin blue line flag go out there again. Boy, that's political. We can't have that. 
Now take that response and multiply it by a 1,000, and you will have what happened in Morrow, Ohio, just this past Friday night. High school football players for Little Miami High School took the field Friday on, what date was Friday? Count backwards with me. Today is the 15th, 14th, 13th, 12th. Oh, yeah, that was 9-11, the 19-year anniversary of those first responders going into the towers sacrificing themselves for other lives. Well, the Little Miami football team took the field on Friday, one carrying an American flag, one carrying a thin blue line flag, and one carrying a thin red line flag. Were you trying to make some kind of political statement here? Asked a local news reporter from Local 12 of Brady Williams, a senior cornerback. No. The high school student answered, I was doing it to honor the people that lost their lives 19 years ago. Williams was holding the thin blue line flag as he rushed onto the field. His dad is a cop. He wanted to honor all the cops who lost their lives trying to save others on 9-11. Jared Bentley carried the thin red line flag, which is a sign of support for firefighters. My dad is a firefighter, he said, and if it had been him who was killed on 9-11, I would want someone to do this in his memory. The problem is the boys exercised their own set of values and their own judgments in place of the ridiculously small-minded weasels in the school administration. And they asked permission. They asked permission prior to the game to carry a thin blue line flag and a thin red line flag on 9-11. This is not political. This is patriotic on 9-11. And they were told, no, you can't do it. And they thought about it themselves and said, I don't care what the consequences are. We're going to honor our fathers and their professions. And we're going to honor the heroes of 9-11 19 years ago that day. Well, the rule breakers, the troublemakers, the scoundrels that they were, heard from the athletic director yesterday afternoon. And they have been suspended from school indefinitely. Let me say that again. Indefinitely. Gregory Power, the Weasley School Superintendent, said we can't have students who decide to do something anyway after they've been told that they shouldn't be doing it. End quote. Power also said that he sees the flags as symbols of a political point of view and didn't want to set a precedent. How in the name of the great and holy God that we worship is supporting police and firefighters on the anniversary of 9-11 political? How is that possible? And the answer to the question is, it isn't. Flags and supporting first responders is patriotic, not political. And these kids exercised better judgment in defying your ridiculous, weaselly, scared, litigiously afraid. And yes, I created that, but they are. They're afraid of lawsuits. They expressed better judgment and better values than you ever could. Because all you can think of is who's going to sue me for allowing this. C-Y-A. Those three letters are more important to these pathetic school leaders, administrators, board members, and superintendents 
CYA means more than USA. These young men need a hero right now, and I hope there is somebody already offering them pro bono legal services to get their indefinite school suspensions overturned and to get their records cleared. Because those two young men are better Americans than any pathetic leader at that school or that school district in Morrow, Ohio, the Little Miami High School and that district could ever hope to be. Avi Berkowitz joins me next, AM 1420, The Answer. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. All right, 936 now. We continue on AM 1420. The answer, thank you so much for uh, being a part of the program this morning. We'll take your phone calls at 216-901-0945 coming up. But right now, I want to... uh I want to celebrate uh, an amazing accomplishment. This is something that uh, people don't think very much about, especially as we're dealing with a number of very high-profile problems uh, here on our own country, in our own city streets, maybe even in our own neighborhoods. But internationally, there's some very important things going on, and uh, they deserve our time and our attention. And, of course, I'm talking about the peace agreements that are being signed today uh, at the White House. President Trump presiding over the signing of historic Middle East deals uh, that, quite frankly, um, the mainstream media not telling you very much about. Uh, They don't care about this on CBS or on any of the uh, alphabet letter networks, and they certainly don't care about it on CNN, but we do here. There have been two peace agreements with Israel in the last 72 years. This is now the second peace agreement that we've announced in the last month. That's pretty incredible. President Trump correctly uh, identifying the importance, historical significance, uh, significance of this. Joining us now to talk about it is one of the architects involved in this these peace agreements between the nation of Israel, our very close ally, and Arab nations, UAE and Bahrain. He is an assistant to the president, special representative for international negotiations, Avi Berkowitz. Avi, thanks for joining joining us here in Cleveland. How are you this morning? I'm great. I'm very excited, actually. And thank you so much for having me on. This this should not be understated. I mean, what the president just said there, put it in some pretty good context, doesn't it, Avi? The fact that two deals, two peace agreements have been signed in 70 years, uh, and, and this is two in the last couple of months. Um, the, the historical significance here, I think, may be lost on some Americans. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and maybe I'll, I'll just sort of put it into a little bit more perspective. So in 1948, Israel formed and immediately is brought into defensive wars by regional actors who didn't want it to exist. Ultimately, another war in 67 and another war, defensive war as well, in 73. The first peace agreement that Israel was actually able to make with an Arab neighbor was in 1978 with Egypt, and only in 1994 was it able to make another agreement with Jordan. After that, for 26 years, there was not one other Arab peace agreement. Although, despite countless decades of people attempting, diplomats attempting, finally, President Trump comes into office and says, you know what, I'm going to take a unique approach to this. And under uh, Jared Kushner and uh, Ambassador David Friedman, our U.S. ambassador to Israel, and, and, and myself, we worked on trying to figure out a way to, to really just change the dynamic. And what you saw on August 13th when the president announced the first deal, A, with an Arab Gulf country, 
so the first Gulf country to recognize Israel, and be the first one in 26 years, and then followed 29 days later with the second Gulf Arab country to recognize Israel, and only the second country uh, to recognize it in the last 26 years, you really see it all coming together, and you see President Trump's vision for the Middle East really starting to align and, and, and be on such a positive trajectory. And today we're going to celebrate that at the White House on the South Lawn with 200 people, uh, you know, where, where the president will sign two historic peace agreements uh, with the Israel and the UAE and then with Israel and Bahrain. This is a phenomenal accomplishment. Can you take us through the timeline, uh, Avi, as to how this got started? I know that you referenced last month um, when uh, the UAE deal was announced that the Peace for Prosperity event or, or announcement, the rollout back in January, is kind of how this thing got started. I don't know how Bahrain became part of that. Can you take us through that uh, and what has happened? You know, a lot of people have been focusing on the COVID uh, pandemic and, and not talking about these things for the last several months, but this has been going on behind the scenes, hasn't it? A hundred percent. And thank you for, for sort of bringing that up because Jared Kushner, so the president put Jared Kushner in charge of this file. And he has been sort of criticized every minute of the day for the last three and a half years that it's going to amount to nothing. But he sort of kept his head. He kept cool. He kept leading our team. And so uh, in January of this year, January 28th, the president put out a vision for peace that Jared and myself and Jason Greenblatt, Ambassador Friedman, helped to draft. And basically the plan laid out a very, very detailed, realistic solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And unfortunately, the Palestinians have refused to come to the table ever since the president announced the opening of the embassy in Jerusalem, the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, which was a promise he made during his campaign. It's something that prior presidents had promised, but only President Trump had the courage to do. And unfortunately, the Palestinians said, you know what, we're no longer interacting with you. And Jared Kushner, instead of saying, well, I guess it's over, I'm going to work on criminal justice reform and USMCA trade deals and all the other things he has to work on, said, you know what, I'm going to try a different approach. And so he worked with the United Arab Emirates to negotiate a normalization of peace treaty. That sort of came up about two months ago after we put out the plan it really sort of showed the world that here's a plan. Should the Palestinians be ready and willing to come to the table? There is a plan, and if not, no problem. We're going to talk to regional players and try to make peace with them in Israel. And so, you know, Jared Kushner and the UAE ambassador, the Israeli ambassador, negotiated this thing for the last two months in secret, I might add, that anybody learning of any of the details until the president announced it on August 13th in the Oval Office, which as somebody who has worked in the White House, the entire administration, I can tell you, keeping a secret of that magnitude for that long, with the amount of people that had to know to negotiate all of the intricate details of a peace deal, is pretty remarkable. And, and in addition, the president has now been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize as a result of this deal that he made. And in fact, he was nominated again the next week for the deal that he made on Serbia and Kosovo. And guess what? After that, he did the Bahrain-Israel deal, which I think he might get nominated for another Nobel Peace Prize for. So it's just really, honestly, dizzying. And uh, it's so exciting. I'm so proud to work under President Trump and Jared Kushner and, and the Vice President, Secretary of State. I mean, the team that the President has put together were so well aligned and working for American interests both domestically and abroad and hopefully today everybody gets to see what that looks like. 
Avi Berkowitz is my guest this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. He is a special assistant to the president and special representative for international negotiation, uh, international negotiations. He was also or has been an advisor to Jared Kushner. Avi, how did you get here to be a part of something that, like this, to be a major part of something like this? I'm going to read to you just a quick paragraph from Al Jazeera, so take that for what it's worth. Um, they they write, one of the main architects of U.S. President Donald Trump's long-delayed Middle East peace plan, which I find very interesting, uh, long-delayed, the backhanded compliment here, uh, is resigning, and one of the individuals set to take his place is a 30-year-old aide with little to no major foreign policy experience. Now, they use that language to degrade you and to diminish you. I'm using it to simply ask you, how does a 30-year-old who has just been an advisor to Jared Kushner rise so quickly and to be such a prominent part of this historic deal? Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, when when I actually, you know, it's actually a funny story if I could, you know, get into it quickly. Please. Uh, I actually met Jared in 2012 at a Passover celebration, believe it or not, playing basketball. And sometimes people ask me in life, you know, how did you, how did, how did things work out? I say, work on your jump shot, you know, as sort of as a, as a joke, but sometimes life brings you into people's, you know, line of sight in ways that you might not initially think. And so if I could give advice to people, I would say, just be open to it. You know, don't, uh, don't sort of discount it just because it comes in a non-traditional way. And after that, I, I began working for Jared. I took a little break. I went to Harvard Law School. And then when I graduated, I joined the Trump campaign where I helped run the president's Facebook page. And we actually had some, some, some significant successes on the Facebook page. And so uh, I, was, I was offered a position at the White House in the beginning of the administration. And I stayed the entire time throughout this entire administration. And so I have such a unique sort of visibility into President Trump's leadership and to Jared's leadership. And so I've just been very, very fortunate to learn from two really, really successful, impressive people. And I've been very, very fortunate to, to sort of be given this opportunity, and I don't want to let them or the American public down. I know how important this is. I know how serious this is, and we all take it extremely seriously, despite how it is sometimes portrayed. Well, you may call it good fortune, Avi, but you know I'm a believer in uh, you know fortune. Good fortune is when opportunity meets preparedness. You you were prepared when this. Uh... <laughs> and by the way, was the jump shot falling that day? Who's better, you or Jared? <laughs> so uh, you know, I've been sworn to secrecy about who's better. But I'll hint that it's me. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, Avi, let me ask you uh, a question from somebody who's not quite as excited about these uh, historic peace deals as you are and as I am and as President Trump is and as the people in the Middle East are. This person is a little bit less enthusiastic. Well, hopefully they won't. <clears throat> hopefully they will be beneficial to the region. We've been waiting for a very long time for the president's proposal for an Israeli-Palestinian uh, peace agreement uh, that honored the two-state solution. Uh, it was coming in two weeks, it was coming in two months, it was coming in six months. It still hasn't come uh, in, in any way that has brought peace. So uh, good for him for having a distraction on a day when the numbers of people who are affected and the numbers of people who are dying from this virus only increases since we passed. So it's a distraction two peace agreements with Arab nations, with the nation of Israel, as you say, after the president. Uh, remember, this was supposed to enrage the Arabs when the president recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and moved the embassy there. Uh, here we are within the first term. We get these two historic agreements. And the Speaker of the House dismisses them as distractions from the COVID pandemic. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's unfortunate. Uh, so first off, just factually, the 
point that she made is just factually inaccurate, which I think is sort of important. We did put out a plan, and it does call for a realistic Tuesday solution, but one that does not allow for terrorists to harm our very close ally, Israel. So perhaps, you know, there's just a misunderstanding. The plan was put out on January 28th of 2020 online, 180 pages long. Anybody who wants to read it, including... Uh, you know, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle are welcome to do so. So, A, it's just factually inaccurate. And then, B, you know, one of the things that I'm so excited about getting to work for President Trump is he really says it like it is. You know, he doesn't require sort of the mental gymnastics that sometimes is necessary to downplay things that are good. This is obviously a good thing, right? It doesn't require one to sort of bend or, or twist in the wind, peace in the Middle East, right? It's sort of like an idiom at this point for things that are good and are hard. And so when they come, I feel very fortunate to be on the side of President Trump where he just does it like it is. This is a really great thing, and, and I wish that everybody could celebrate it. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, we all understand the current climate that, that we exist in. But today you'll see the excitement of everybody who's there. And by the way, we invited Democrats to the White House. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them declined. But we did want to invite them because... This is not a political thing. It's peace in the Middle East. Uh, you know, it's sort of like a, I almost feel silly saying it out loud, right? Because it's the type of thing that is so difficult and so hard to accomplish that when President Trump and Derek Kushner did accomplish it, you know, you just got to celebrate it, for even for just a brief moment in time. And then we can go back to some of the divisiveness, perhaps, that unfortunately, you know, has, has plagued us. So I just think it's unfortunate that, Thank God for peace, and, and I'm so I'm so fortunate to be a part of the team that's on that's working on this. I don't want to sound greedy, uh, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, any other deals in the works? I mean, you know, we heard about UAE. Did not expect so quickly to find out about Bahrain. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else we may find out before uh, November third or before the first of two Trump terms ends? So we are working on a few other deals. One of the most fascinating things, I think, in life is the concept of momentum. When you're working on something and things are going positively, it really just creates a buzz and excitement around it. And I think other countries in the region are sort of asking themselves, you know, maybe it's time for us to make peace as well. Maybe this sort of back and forth of nonstop fighting and violence, it, it, it's not really necessary and it's not improving the lives of our people. And so we've had really, really positive discussions. Of course, I'm going to sort of let those discussions come, you know, in the, in the process that they will before I get too far ahead of myself. But the president's been very forward-leaning that this is a significant priority because it allows us to bring our troops on, right? It's not just something that helps other people. It helps Americans. This is in our national security interest. It's, in our, it's just in our interest. And, you know, thank God we've had the successes that we've had, but we're very hopeful for future success as well. Well, I'll tell you what, if uh, if the future is anything like what we're experiencing right now, it is reason for optimism for all of us and for everyone impacted and affected in the Middle East. You know, I, I don't know that any of us can ever say that we think there will truly be peace in the Middle East all the way around, but these are extraordinary steps toward bringing about peaceable relations between nations that didn't have them before, and that is the first step. Uh, huge, huge news. Uh, congratulations to you for your role in the negotiations, to Jared Kushner, and of course to the President, and I Thank you so much, Avi Berkowitz, for sharing all of the good news with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Avi Berkowitz, he's an attorney, he's a political advisor to Jared Kushner, or to the president now, rather, an assistant to the president, 
and special representative for international negotiations, as well as an advisor to Jared Kushner. And he did play a huge role, 30 years old, in having that kind of an impact on world peace. That's a large statement, but, but seriously. These normalized relations between Israel and two Arab states in the Middle East is a huge step forward toward world peace, however you define that. All right, good stuff from Avi Berkowitz. We'll take a short time out and come back with your phone calls on AM 1420, The Answer. short segment here before the top of the hour. We may have a surprise guest at 1010. Not 100% sure yet. Oh, it's confirmed. All right. We do have a guest coming up at 1010. Uh, uh, I will go ahead and spoil the surprise now because I think you're going to want to tune in to hear it. Dave Yost, the Attorney General of the State of Ohio, is going to be joining us at 1010 about something that's pretty darn important. Um, If you care at all about kids... I don't know if you're paying attention to the controversy surrounding Netflix and its strange, bizarre um, decision to promote child sexual exploitation, pedophilia. Um, it, It is all of that. Netflix has a program, a film called Cuties, um, which features little children, little girls, um, being sexually exploited, quite frankly. It is it is beyond disgust, disgusting. It is almost beyond description as well. And there are a lot of lawmakers that are moving to get Netflix to pull this film. It is, it is simply reprehensible. Uh, and again, it's called Cuties. And Dave Yost wrote a very powerful letter as Attorney General of the State of Ohio to Netflix, demanding that they pull this movie, which features graphic sexual uh, scenes with involving children and their bodies, up close and personal, if you will. It's really, again, almost beyond description, but Dave Yost is going to talk about that with us, his letter to the Net, uh, Netflix executives. That'll be coming up at 1010. So that's good news. Uh, let me get a couple of calls in here. Dave is in uh, Lakewood. Dave, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, regarding the uh, punishment of those students, uh, what you talked about before. Uh, uh, oh, I, the football players, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, indefinite suspensions, right. As far as I'm concerned, I honestly believe that decision had to be influenced by your radical leftist teachers' unions. Because all those kids were, as you said before, and I hardly agree, all those kids were doing was something patriotic, and they were supporting their parents. Yeah, and, and supporting and supporting and supporting again. This this you know it's it's bizarre. The Chardon story, which was similar, was two weeks earlier, and oh, it that, didn't that have the nine eleven backdrop. Excuse me for interrupting you. The Chardon story yeah. sickened me. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, because there was nothing wrong with what those kids did. But 
in this case, in, in Morrow at Little Miami High School down there, they at least had the backdrop of 9-11. The game was played on 9-11 of 2020, 19 years after the terrorist attack, after we all you know, we're, we're just in awe of the sacrifice of our first responders who rushed into those towers to save lives. Cops, how many, what, 300 or so police and firefighters were killed that day. So here these kids are honoring these officers with the backdrop of 9-11, and they got suspended indefinitely. I mean, it makes the Chardon case look tame by comparison. I think psychiatrists could have a field day trying to examine what kind of loonies are teaching our kids. Yeah, well, about the teachers' union comment, and I appreciate the call, Dave. Uh, thank you so much. I I don't think necessarily that the teachers' union would have had a role in this because the superintendent is not beholden to the union, and as a matter of fact, they're on opposite sides. Management, administrative administration, and teachers are you know on the opposite sides of the negotiating table. I doubt the teachers influenced the superintendent. I think political correctness and fear of lawsuits influenced the superintendent that's that's just my belief and the school board same thing happened in chardon they're afraid somebody's going to sue for allowing this political statement to be made blah 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 and then they're going to want to have a political statement and a black lives matter flag out there or something stupid like that uh although as you know if you listen to the show i have no love for teachers unions and their liberal indoctrination efforts uh as well but that is a despicable, reprehensible story, especially given the fact that, as we both pointed out, uh, this was on 9-11, for crying out loud. That's an honor and an ode and a patriotic uh, observance um, uh, commemorating the sacrifice of those first responders that day. All right, it's 10 o'clock now, so we're going to get our news. And on the flip side, as noted, uh, Dave Yost, the Attorney General of the State of Ohio, will be joining us to talk about Netflix and child exploitation and what can be done to stop it on AM 1420, The Answer.